Welcome to Get the Scope, the podcast for current and aspiring nursing and midwifery students with Scarlett and Caitlin. Hello and welcome to another episode of Get the Scope. Today we are joined by Lee, an acupuncturist. On today's episode we talk about holistic care and we talk about alternative methods of health through Chinese medicine. We hope that you learn a lot from today's episode and enjoy! Hi guys and welcome to another episode of Get the Scope. Today we are joined by acupuncturist Lee. I'll start off by just doing our acknowledgement of country. So we'd love to acknowledge the and show respects to the Kulin Nation who are the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations peoples past, present and future and we acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello Lee and welcome. Thank you, thank you. We are so excited to dive into today's questions. Um, so I guess we'd like to just start off by asking you about your career. Um, we know that you started off working as a midwife and that you've moved into your practice now as an acupuncturist. Are you able mm-hmm. just to talk about that career path that you've taken? Well, it's been a long career. <laughs> I did start out as a midwife and I ended up living in Holland and I wanted to go back to midwifery. But my Dutch wasn't good enough, so I started uh, taking some lessons in Dutch. Didn't get very far with those. And the lovely man suggested that I go and do a course that would immerse me in the language and that I would learn Dutch by hearing it. So I started an acupuncture course with no intention of becoming an acupuncturist. Wanted to learn Dutch. Instead, decided to change my career and become an acupuncturist. (laughs) But having the midwifery background, I always stayed in the area of women's health and um, pregnancy and fertility. Mm. So did you, so you worked as a midwife in Holland? I never actually ended up working as a midwife there. Even though my Dutch improved to the point where I could have, I was more interested in the acupuncture then. That's amazing. It is. Can you explain to us what acupuncture is and the whole world of Chinese medicine and how it differs from the usual biomedical model approach to health? Well, that's a very big world that you're asking me about. And there are many forms of acupuncture and um, Chinese medicine. I tend to use a couple of them, but seeing one acupuncturist doesn't mean that you're going to get exactly the same treatment that you will be seeing another acupuncturist or Chinese medicine practitioner. And it's not just about acupuncture. It encompasses a whole gamut of um, modalities to help people. So we might use massage, we might use um, herbs, we might use acupuncture, we might give diet advice, exercise, lifestyle advice, things like qigong, all sorts of methods to, um, to actually change what's happening in a person. I think the biggest difference for me, having come from a Western medical background and going into traditional Chinese medicine, is that Western medicine is very linear. It's you have a condition, uh, it has come about because A and B were there and therefore you just treat the symptoms that are showing up and maybe a little bit of the A and the B. In traditional Chinese medicine, they look at it completely different. Your symptoms are part of a whole pattern of who you are. So instead of just treating A and B, we want to know, or instead of just treating C, we want to know how did A and B come to be? What led to them then making C happen? So it involves a lot of looking at a person from outside. We don't chop people up and have a look at what their nerves are doing and what their bloods are doing, et cetera, et cetera. Instead, we ask a lot of questions and we observe people. 
And in that way, we come up with what we call the pattern of disharmony. And this pattern is what we treat, not the disease. So you may come to me with uh, endometriosis, for example. I'm not going to treat your endometriosis. I'm going to treat you. I'm going to treat why in you did endometriosis come about. We will do some symptomatic relief because obviously you have a condition that's upsetting to you, but we also want to treat you as a person and make you um, a healthier person. And the, the good thing about that is then your endometriosis is less likely to come back again. That's amazing. Just give you a little bit of an idea. Definitely. <laughs> I personally have no idea. I've got no idea about Chinese medicine, acupuncture, and that was a really, really great little insight into what it actually is. Most people don't have an idea um, and most people do think that, you know, you come and see me and I'm specialist in X, Y or Z. But no matter what specialty I have as a Chinese medical practitioner, I will still look at the whole body and I still treat you as a whole. And I think it is one of the problems now in Western medicine, and I don't mean to bag Western medicine. Obviously, there's a lot of good in Western medicine, but there is a problem in that you go and see a specialist and that specialist only knows their area and treats their area. So you may have endometriosis and you may be given a whole lot of drugs and that drug can have a side effect that then affects, for example, your cardiac health or your digestive system. So then you go and see another specialist who knows cardiac health or digestive systems, but they don't know the other parts. So they give you something which then causes another problem and it goes around and around and around because nobody now looks at the whole person. I think that touches on a really interesting point that the approach that we take when looking at a person, it's almost like we look at them as a person with endometriosis, whereas I guess your yeah. approach is saying we look at them as a person and that, that's it. Yeah. And you, yeah. you, know, you consider their symptoms and stuff, but you yeah. more like fir- sorry, firstly look at them as that person. person. And they may have the pain. They may have the really heavy periods. Or they may have nothing. They have no symptoms whatsoever, but they're infertile. Mm. And they've seen that through a laparoscopy, they have this stuff called endometriosis. Well, that person is quite different in how they've come to have that endometriosis compared to the person who comes in and is doubled over every time they have their period and can't go to work because the flooding is so bad. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, so I guess what is a pressure point and why are they important and how um, do they play a role in health holistically? Well, we don't call them pressure points. You can put pressure on the points and massage them to have effect, but they're an acupuncture point. So within the body, we have flows of energy, which are called meridians. And these points are areas on these flows where we can affect the flow. We can influence it. They, they haven't really been explained fully in a Western medical um, concept. They have seen that they are areas of lowered electrical resistance on the skin. So we know there is something there. Um, they've also shown that if you needle them and then you put a person in an MRI, that they cause excitation in all different areas of the brain. Wow. So we can see the effects that they're having. We can see that neurotransmitters change, hormones change, symptoms change the brain is lighting up but we don't know what exactly this little system is that's doing this that's so interesting i've seen the acupuncture map like on a human like all the different yeah. like, so marines 
Meridians. Meridians. Yeah. 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 Meridians are the lines and the points are the little spots where you can affect them. Yeah, it's incredible. It's really amazing to look at. So we will make a diagnosis on a person and we will look at which meridians we can affect that diagnosis with, the pattern of disharmony, we call it. And then you can work on those points in a way that either calms the point down or builds the energy up in that point. So you can speed the flow up, you can slow it down, or you can help to actually create flow where there's no flow. Yeah, right. So in an example of, let's say, trying to, I guess, treat pain um, and different yeah. types of pain with acupuncture, can you explain that um, phenomenon in, in a pain context? Well, the Chinese have a saying, and they say that if there is pain, there is no free, free flow. And if there is no free flow, there is pain. And what this is saying is that for some reason in an area, the energy or the blood is not being able to move through and the body is perceiving this as pain. So we will work on that energy or that blood that's stuck there. And the reason for it being stuck, so you don't just want to move that blockage, you actually want to look at why did that blockage come about in the first place? So you'll use acupuncture, you might use heat, you might use massage, you might use cold to work against what is causing that blockage. And it's an important concept to look at, pain is actually a symptom of something going on. So you do have to treat more than just the pain itself. And a lot of people will go and see an acupuncturist and they'll have had pain for you know, 10 years in this elbow joint. And they'll expect in two or three sessions that their pain is gonna feel wonderful. If it's taken that long to build up, it's going to take a little bit of work to break it all down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not a wonder cure where we get out our wand and your pain is gone. So you do have to give it a chance to work. You also want to not only clear that pain, you don't want it to return. So you may have to go back and see that person for a couple of times every year. Doesn't matter how often it has to be but you have to work on the underlying pattern as well, or else you will just get recurrence. Yeah, yeah. We have an issue at the moment with um, what, we, well, I have an issue with it. I think the <laughs> profession as a whole does with what we see being called dry needling. I, and this is done by physios and doctors and chiropractors. I don't mind them using um, dry needling to loosen up an area that then allows them to do their treatment um, for example, massaging or um, manipulation, because the acupuncture points are very good at releasing an area that's tight. But you can't say to a person that you're doing acupuncture there because you're only using a couple of points to release an area. You're not treating that pain. You're not treating that underlying diagnosis. And that's a really important difference. Mm, or considering what the flow of it as well. Exactly, mm. yeah. Yeah, if you're only working at it locally, it could be that that is a local manifestation of something that is actually a deeper problem. Exactly. Mm, that's really interesting. Mm. I guess with relation to stress and anxiety, um, yeah. how does acupuncture approach, I guess, treating those kind of conditions? Um, well, stress and anxiety is a really interesting one as well because if I put stress on a person, the type of... Uh, reaction that that person is going to show is very different and the Chinese notice that there's types of people and each of those types of people will show different symptoms to stress so for example um, 
you might be very stressed and you'll come into me and you'll say, I can't sleep at night. I'm constantly worrying about this. Um, I'm so upset about what's happening at work. It just goes round and round and round and I can't get on with my daily life. That's one type of person. Another type of person who's been under exactly the same sort of stress will come in and say to me, I'm so angry. I am yelling at everybody. I want to kill everybody. If nobody listens to me at work, why don't they just do what I'm saying has to be done? Another person will come back in and say to me, I'm so fearful. I, I just don't know what's going to happen in my life. What's going to happen to my children? What's going to happen with my boss? Where, where's this work going to go? And they're, they're always afraid of what the future is and um, how they're going to get out of the situation. Whereas another person may be totally introverted by their stress and that stress stops them then from seeing friends, from looking for help from being able to interact with their baby. So all these different types are reacting to what we call stress, and that might be the modern way we live where everything has to be done in a hurry and we have to be at certain places and everything has to be on time. But these different people all will show different signs of that stress and require different treatment for it. The Chinese concept of emotional stress tends to be that either there is a deficiency or there is an excess. And very often that's a deficiency of blood. And this sort of leads into midwifery quite interestingly because a blood loss causes emotional problems in the Chinese concept. Mm -hmm. Now blood does a lot more in Chinese medicine than it does in Western medicine. One of the things that it does is it nestles the emotions and it keeps us calm. So if you lose blood, you are more prone to be emotional, to be stressed, to be upset. Yeah, I think in midwifery practice, like you've just said, um, there's no like protocols for women to get follow-up blood tests or there isn't really an interest or concern about uh, the blood loss after birth because it a lot of the time is considered normal and 500 mils yeah. is considered normal. But like mm -hmm. what you're saying, um, I guess, is that blood loss is, is blood loss and it can really impact women's levels of stress and anxiety and I know that yeah. the introduction of a new baby is I guess a cover-up for it a lot that might not be the case well 500 mils in one person may be fine but for someone who is low in what we call the concept of blood in the first place 500 mils can be more than enough to push you over the edge mm -hmm. and the Chinese also have a concept of breastfeeding and breast milk that it is white blood and what they're considering there is that you actually need blood to create milk. Mm. So when a mother starts breastfeeding, she is taking away some of her blood reserves straight away. If that person has also lost a lot of blood in their delivery, it's quite possible that their breastfeeding won't progress as easily. The biggest stress that you see women coming in and saying, I'm feeling emotional after my baby being born is... I'm up all night. I don't have enough milk. My baby is crying. Mm -hmm. And so we do see quite a correlation in that. Mm -hmm. The fact that we see it, the Chinese also saw it because they didn't shock people up. They observed people and they saw these sort of patterns. And then they used those patterns to explain the way the body works and how we should have to intervene and help it. Mm. I think Scarlett just had a bit of a light bulb moment. Legit. <laughs> I, think, <yeah. laughs> I saw it in your face. <laughs> that was a really interesting concept, the way that that has all just yeah, come together. together. 
Yeah, I yes. mean, yeah, and a life of women is the best way to put it. I guess that's the thing of Chinese medicine that it's bringing symptoms together and trying to see a pattern rather than just looking at them individually and saying, you know, oh, this is just because problem A is leading to problem B, and we will just give you something to relax you and give you some more sleep, and all will be fine. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Flowing on from, um, I guess, how acupuncture can be used in a midwifery context, um, are you able to talk about form of in natural induction with the use of acupuncture and how that works and how it's, I know it's a service that you provide, so. Yes, yes. Um, wow, induction has been so interesting in the last few years with the um, advent of the was it ARRIVE, the trial that uh, said everybody has to be induced now at 38 to 39 weeks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because for me, it used to be that induction was starting contractions. And now I look at it as a bigger idea because you can't just start contractions. If the cervix isn't ready, you may start contractions on a lady, but her cervix is not going to dilate she is going to suffer a lot of pain, the baby is going to be stressed, and she is more likely to end up with interventions of um, cesarean section, possibly forceps at the end. So to me now, I look at, I don't need to create a labor, I need to create a good labor. So that means I need to work on the cervix first. So I always encourage people, if they can, to come and see me in advance so that we can start that process of brightening in the cervix, which I'm sure if midwives are listening to this, they will understand how towards the end of a pregnancy, um, the structure of the cervix changes so that it no longer keeps the cervix closed and hard, it allows it to dilate. If this process hasn't happened well, they will try um, to speed it up by using gels or using a balloon catheter, but these physical methods don't seem to work as well, whether it's because they're working from the bottom up rather than the top down. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, But a lot of women will be induced and will not have a nice time of it. So I try with induction to, first of all, work to prepare the cervix. And then close to the date where the lady is going to be induced um, medically, we try and get some contractions going. If that works, that's wonderful. And I don't know what percentage that works in because I don't ring people afterwards, but I do see people sending other people in. And I have midwives that say, you know, go and try at this acupuncture because it starts your labor. So I know it does work. But my aim now is more that I want you to be in a good situation. At, right before the induction date, we will try and get the contractions start, started. If they don't start, then it's probable that they are still working on the cervix. And if your cervix is in a better situation, your Western induction is going to go better and you are going to have a better labor. And in the end, that's what's going to bring a baby in without all the other interventions and a mother that isn't as stressed, isn't as exhausted, hasn't lost as much blood. <laughs> it is. It's a, yeah, the cascade of interventions, as we call yeah. it in midwifery, yeah. is, yeah, it's so evident, especially with medical inductions. And so, yeah, and like you're saying that, that cervix is that initial starting point in labor. We really need yeah. that to be ready because that's an indication that baby's ready too. Yep. Um, and, you know, the mother and baby and cervix work together mm-hmm. to really, yeah. Well, we still, we don't understand what actually starts labor off. There's so many theories. 
And it's possible that there's different pathways for different women, but it is a situation where the body is being told to do something now before it had any idea that it had to do it. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't know that it is reducing cesarean rates, but that's a whole other fish. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope that there's going to be some research done in real life statistics that will answer that question. Mm. There is new current research about the long-term effects of inductions mm -hmm. um, coming out very like recently. Like I think the last one was in March, 2020, 2021. It's new, but it's coming. And right. I hope it really changes practice soon. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think practice is necessarily being read, led by ah, good observation. And I think the studies that are coming out might have bias in that the people that are being allowed to go longer, the intervention is coming in quicker because they're afraid that those people have not had the um, induction at an earlier date and expect more problems. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it's just fear-based. So how do you use acupuncture when women present with you with infertility problems? Well, infertility is a very, very big question of um, what is happening that is making a woman not, her body not be able to conceive. So again, we have to look at the person individually and the whole person, but we also have to look at what Western medicine is doing with that person because there is a lot of intervention now. There's Clomid, there's IVF, um, there's ovulation induction and uh, intrauterine insemination. So although you have to have a good understanding of the TCM or the, uh, the Chinese um, concept of fertility, you also have to have a good understanding of what the Western medical interventions are doing and how you can integrate the two to work together best. Mm. I don't have a problem with whether a person falls pregnant seeing me trying naturally or whether they use Western medicine as well. The end point that's important is that they have a baby and they have a healthy baby. So when a woman comes into me, I have to look first at her whole pattern and decide where I think things are going wrong. And I think by diagnosing the pattern, we then work on the basics of what fertility is. Fertility requires a menstrual cycle and the menstrual cycle requires the feedback of hormones from one hormone going up, suppresses another hormone, that hormone dropping starts the introduction of another hormone going up. If that cycle is not um, producing enough hormones certain stages or if the receptor sites for those um, hormones aren't having the effect in the areas that they should, for example, the uterine lining or on the ovary or the follicle softening so that ovulation can happen, then the menstrual cycle is going to fall down and so fertility is going to fall down. So we start at the basics of trying to get a good lining, a good menstrual cycle, a good ovulation. And then we look at other issues that perhaps it's not just the cycle. Um, it could be that are the egg and the sperm actually being able to meet in those fallopian tubes? Mm. Um, and here it's, you know, it's very helpful to have Western diagnostics with things like um, the Hycosi that can tell you whether a tube is patent or not, because you, know, you can have every hormone in exactly the right position. You can have fantastic sperm, but if the egg and sperm can't meet, well, there's a problem that's never going to unwind. So for me, it's looking at 
what is the person's pattern that is leading to her infertility, but also what points can I intervene? And it might be that I have to work with acupuncture, but it could also be that she needs some herbs because the acupuncture is not going to be strong enough. Or it could be that there's things that she's doing um, inadvertently. Like I believe very much that fertility requires energy. And we make a certain amount of energy every day. And we give that energy to getting up in the morning, getting dressed, going to work, getting home, looking after kids, doing the housework, making dinner, etc., etc. The little bit that's left over, we add, we are then have that available for things like conceiving. If you are living a busy life, that little tiny bit of energy you have left at the end probably isn't enough for a conception to happen. So when people say to people, go off and have a lovely holiday and you'll conceive, I do believe that there is an effect there. I don't believe it's go and stop stressing about it, stop worrying about it. I believe it's the fact that you are making a little bit more energy available. So one of the things I often look at with women is how much exercise are they doing? How are they dealing with stress? What effect is that having on the way they're building their energy and having that energy available? If they're doing an IVF cycle, how hard are you working at work that week when you're growing that or that fortnight when you're growing those eggs? Can you maybe back off on a few things? Can you leave that vacuum cleaner alone and put a little bit more energy into those important eggs that you're growing? So yes, it's not just a treatment that here, I'm going to stick these needles in for you. I'm going to give you these herbs. It's very much a partnership that I try to build up with the, the women or the men. I am forgetting that there's a sperm that's involved in this issue as well. <laughs> and I think that's becoming a, a much more important area because we're seeing so much effect on sperm now. And they keep dropping the parameters and saying, okay, well, this a number of sperm and this number swimming straight and this number looking a good shape will do. But we're not looking at what's going on inside that sperm. It may not look great on the outside, but how much energy does it have? And when an egg and sperm come together, we hear a lot about egg quality. And egg quality, yes, the chromosomes have to be right in the egg for or the sperm for a baby to be conceived. But that cells, those two cells, when they come together, they also have to replicate. So they have to replicate their uh, chromosomes. Those chromosomes have to divide, and it has to divide into more cells, more cells, more cells. Every time that replication and division is happening, it requires an energy to do that. If the energy isn't there, it's quite possible that mistakes will happen in that division. And then that embryo is going to end up with more and more abnormal cells to the point where it then can't keep going. So people come to me and they say, I have been told I have poor egg quality. Can Chinese medicine do anything about that? I try to explain it. No, I cannot undo your chromosomes. I cannot undo if radiation or something has damaged some of your eggs. But what I can do is with the eggs in there that are good, I can help them to be stronger so that then they can grow better into forming an embryo. That's my theory on what I'm doing. <laughs> I also jumped in on you, sorry, a bit where you were going to ask me about blood loss and taking hemoglobin and things like that. And one point that I was going to make is that I don't think women know that acupuncture can help them postnatally. So I don't see a lot of women postnatally. So I possibly don't see 
an increase in this problem now that we're having increased interventions, only because I'm not seeing the women come in the door. But I definitely believe the setting is right for it to be becoming a bigger problem. Yeah, completely. I think midwives can help bridge that gap majorly, I think, because mm-hmm. of the increase in intervention and what that looks like postnatally and the ways that, I guess, as Western medicine, we just don't holistically pick up a lot of these issues or, yes. I guess, have the same approach. I think acupuncture really helps with those gaps. And I think as midwives, yeah. we play a really vital role to bridging those gaps. You certainly do. Absolutely. Because you are seeing those women at their vulnerable time. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So from what we've talked about so far, it's been incredible hearing how acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine really can treat people in a completely different way to how biomedical model can treat people (laughs) with their with whatever they're seeking attention for. In what ways do you think the medical model of health could use or support Chinese medicine to improve the care that we do provide for our patients? Ah. What a utopia that would be if we would work together <laughs> because each model has its strengths and I never turn my back on Western medicine because I really believe, you know, antibiotics made a massive change to lives, but now they're being overused a little bit and now they have their problems. Um, you know, interventions like surgery, same thing. But if we could treat the whole person and look at, how the two systems could assist each other, I think we would have a far healthier um, population. Everybody would do a lot better. So do I. I think think that um, referrals and knowing when Mm -hmm. to refer on is something that the biomedical model sometimes falls down in. And I guess what you said then about knowing when to refer on is a real problem if you don't know about the other model Mm -hmm. and that requires a little bit of open-mindedness and a willingness to not want to just totally control um, medicine there is a big problem there in that there is finance involved here Mm -hmm. and until we stop letting money decide where medicine is going to go and profits I don't think people are going to get healthier definitely well I think today's episode is probably really special in that sense in that we are really giving people or listeners the insight into what acupuncture is and traditional Chinese medicine is and one aspect of the many other aspects of health really yeah 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 I mean our next question's talking a little bit more about that so I guess from our point of view we understand that western medicine isn't always the answer and that we know that our patients will seek alternative treatments such as acupuncture and other Chinese medicines throughout their health journey Um, why do you think that the medical model of health is really poor at referring these services I guess to flow on probably one a lack of knowledge and understanding of what Chinese medicine does and secondly I think that there is an education right at the very basics of not only doctor's training, but midwife's training as well, that says this is the only way to look at the body and to treat the body. So it comes back to attitude and that attitude being ingrained by what you're taught. So I think we do need changes right back at the education system. 
I have some wonderful obstetricians and doctors who have seen the effects for their clients and so do refer. So I guess if doctors would have a little bit, oh no, I can't just say doctors, if all other Western medical practitioners would have a little bit more of an open mind and realize that the patient does have a right to choose where they want to go and receive help and then monitor how that person responds to that help, get feedback on it. Maybe then it will just give them a bigger pool of resources to help people. Yeah, I think so as well. It's interesting because we're we're undergraduates, so we're going through the education system. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting how even if I think back to our first year where we approached every system individually, and we looked every at body system. Yeah, every yeah. body system yeah. individually. Yeah. And there was yeah. never a point where we came together and really looked at how holistically they kind of work together. Right. Yeah, I just so find it really interesting yeah. having this conversation, yeah. realizing that that was a gap mm. in our knowledge. That yeah, definitely. We could have, we could improve on. Mm. Mm. Well, I was told when I was training in Chinese medicine that historically the Chinese weren't allowed to chop bodies up. And so they looked at the living model instead of the dead, which I thought was very interesting. So they looked, and there's a fantastic book called The Web That Has No Weaver. And that is the idea that the whole body is an intricate system that all responds to different stimuli, but interconnectedly. So very interesting book if people are interested to look a little bit more at the background rather than my poor explanations. <laughs> no, we'll probably put that in the show notes, I think. Definitely. I want to read that. Yeah. <laughs> Ted Kapchuk was the, the author. I can okay. email that through to you if you like. That yes, please. Thank you. Yeah. So what advice do you have do you have for us upcoming health professionals when Patients are considering alternative methods to medical treatment, such as acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine and all the others that are very prominent in today's society. Well, first of all, I think it would be very good if you have looked into it a little bit yourself. And so you have a little bit of an understanding of what they're talking about. Um, so you don't have any biases in, in through a lack of knowledge. Secondly, I think it, is good if you have an understanding of how you can assist that person to find somebody who is adequately trained. For example, with um, Chinese medicine, we are a registered profession. Registration means that you have to have passed um, an education system that is of a high enough degree, um, an acceptable degree, and that you must have ongoing education, you have to be insured, So it sets a certain standard for the profession. Um, So people should always look for someone who is a registered registered practitioner, first of all. It does say that nobody else should practice acupuncture, but in reality, that's not the case. And I have had a case of a lady who came in and wanted to do cervical preparation. And she said to me, I didn't really know whether to come and see you because I'm seeing a physio for some back pain. And my physio said, don't bother coming to see you because I can just look in the textbook and I can put the points in for you. Now, obviously that physio had no idea of how to diagnose this woman to know which points were going to be important for her. And I thought that was a really, really good example of where the importance of acupuncture and the strengths of acupuncture are being totally undermined 
And if it didn't work for her, she wouldn't go out and say to somebody, oh, my quasi-acupuncture didn't work. She'd say acupuncture didn't work. <laughs> so for, for us as a profession, that's an, an issue. Anyway, I've gotten off track here with my, answering my question. If you can assist people to know that there are bodies such as registration boards, um, chiropractors are also registered, that they can at least know that they're not seeing somebody who has gone off and done a weekend course and then um, put their shingle up. <laughs> yeah, wow, that story is kind of scary. It is scary. It's <laughs> yeah. the arrogance, really. They can't just stay in their own scope of practice. <laughs> Which is what we do as registered practitioners. Yeah. Yes. Our scope, so yes. Yes. And, and there's a reason that we have scope of practice. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Exactly. Um, I guess when accessing these sorts of services, um, where should people look and how do they access them? And I guess just in terms of like Medicare rebates or private health mm-hmm. insurance or like subsidizations, yeah, what, what's, what's available? available? Right. Um, rebates, the private health insurance does cover acupuncture in extras cover. So um, you do have to check whether your extras has acupuncture covered in it. I find that an unfortunate situation because to me, it means that there's a large percentage of the population that can't access a rebate through that. Because obviously not everybody has private health and the extras on top of that. Medicare covers acupuncture when it is provided by a GP. There is a Medicare number for it. Uh, Well, not just GP, a doctor. But there is an issue there in that and don't get me wrong, there is a lot of doctors who have done very adequate training and have a good understanding of what Chinese medicine is. But there are also doctors who have done a weekend course, or short course, do not understand how to do the diagnosis and have pretty much done what dry needling is, was where you learn a recipe. If you want to treat induction of labor, put in five points like this. So Medicare, in a way, is paying for a treatment that may not be as strong as it would have been if a person had seen someone who had trained for the four years and uh, has ongoing training, et cetera, et cetera. How you find an acupuncturist? I think that one of the best ways is through forums. If you go and see somebody who is being talked about on a forum or you ask on the forum who people see, you're likely to see somebody who has a good understanding of that area. And I'm not trying to say that it's only see specific people. Um, The problem is we can't be named as specialists in Chinese medicine according to our registration because they say there is no courses that are recognized by the registration board which would then name us a specialist. What this does is that anybody who's gone and done a quick course in um, pregnancy acupuncture or fertility acupuncture can then say on their website that one of their interest areas, because they can't use the word specialty, is fertility. Now they, or pregnancy, they may see one person a month and for the rest of the month, they're treating pain and all the other sorts of things that acupuncturists see people for. How do you as a consumer know who is actually well experienced in that area and who is just expanding their clinic by naming all these certain conditions. Mm. Um, So yes, I think the forums are a good starting point. You then also do need to check that that person is registered. Mm. 
And then you should look at their website because as much as we are limited in how much we can say on our website, I think a website can give you an idea of how, what area that person really has an interest in. Definitely. Yeah, that's really great advice for yeah. people who are seeking services like acupuncture. And obviously you can ask your midwife or your obstetrician who they are seeing people go to. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and start that conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. I think that's really great. So we end each episode with a series of rapid fire questions. <laughs> and our first is what top three qualities do you think makes a good healthcare professional? I think empathy, knowledge, and experience. Yeah, I love them. I love important. them. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, from your time uh, studying, what has been your favourite study hack? <laughs> I haven't studied for quite a long time. <laughs> and I used to cram, <laughs> which is probably not a good method, but it got me through. <laughs> it works for some. <laughs> it works for some, that last minute using short-term memory. <laughs> but Trouble. obviously study yeah. hard first. Yeah. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite pastime that keeps you sane? Uh, my animals keep me sane. I love my animals. Do you have many? I do, I do. I have a very large flock of chooks and fish and cats and most of them are rescues, but mm. how I keep my heart and soul entertained. I love that. Uh, what's the favourite thing, you, sorry, what favourite thing have you been consuming um, at the moment, so whether it be like a book or a podcast or a TV show? Or... Um, I haven't had a lot of time to open books, podcasts, but I think one of the things that, I really love is my conversations with my clients yeah because they tell me about books and podcasts and just people's lives they are so interesting <laughs> so thank you to my clients I love, that. That's really I love that too and our last question is who's one person in your life that you are most grateful for and why oh, I guess all my family are very very special but I would have to say my partner, Rob, um, no matter what, Rob always has my back and it's an unquestionable love. And I'm so grateful to him for that. That's that beautiful. is really sweet. Hopefully he listens to this <laughs> and he can hear his shout out. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lee, for coming on today. This has been such an eye-opening conversation and really educational for, um, I guess, us upcoming health professionals on ways that we can really support your line of work and Chinese medicine. And I hope everyone goes out and educates themselves a little bit more. Yeah, I hope everyone sees the value and sees the place that acupuncture and Chinese medicine really holds in the healthcare world I guess it comes down to the fact that we want the best for our clients and so that's that's got to be where we start from yeah definitely thank you so much for coming on thank you so much thank you for listening to another episode of get the scope as always you can find us at get the scope podcast on instagram and follow us on your streaming platforms that you listen to us on uh, we hope you enjoyed today's episode and we will see you guys next time Bye.